This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Liz Lunier. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. On this week's episode, we're discussing Net Zero and the new No Excuses framework developed here at Capgemini Invent in partnership with Siemens for the upcoming Hanover Messe. So Net Zero is a goal for any sustainable company that wishes to go beyond simply reducing emissions, but instead focusing on the long-term goal, having a neutral impact on the environment, just like sustainability in general. The path towards net zero is confusing for many businesses. This partnership between Siemens, Capgemini, Rockwell Automation, Cambridge University, and the World Economic Forum has sought to clear that path and provide a roadmap to net zero. To discuss this today, I'm joined by... My name is Gunter Breitinger. I'm SVP at Siemens Digital Industry. I'm responsible for the manufacturers and also for the digitalization of our factories and product owner of Seagreen. And... Hello, my name is Pierre Bagnon. I'm the head of the Intelligent Industry Accelerator for Capgemini. Excellent. Well, welcome, gentlemen. Very nice to have you on today. So net zero is a goal for any sustainable company that wishes to go beyond simply reducing emissions, but instead focusing on the long-term goal having a neutral impact on the environment. But like sustainability in general, the path towards net zero is confusing for many, many businesses. This partnership between Siemens and Capgemini has sought to clear that path and provide a roadmap to net zero. Pierre, can you tell us a little bit of background about this collaboration? To put things into perspective, achieving net zero in the industry is one of the most critical challenges for manufacturers. To understand the context, industry represents about 30% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. And today, the sense of urgency is now prominent for every CEO. As a matter of fact, 70% of them already committed to net zero targets for 2050. However, results are to be seen. Short-term commitment must still take place. And if we look at the recent figures, 200 million more tons of emissions in 21 compared to 19. So we show that, A, we are not in par with the Paris Agreement and the situation is worrying. So having this in mind, the key question is how to accelerate and make results happen. And this is what, together with Siemens, the World Economic Forum, we, we had identified and decided jointly to join uh, or create sorry, these initiatives around Net Zero Accelerator. And this initiative today gathers um, over 20 companies, cross sectors. We have companies from the consumer goods, uh, chemical, mining, digital space, with common theme in common. A, they're all leaders on the market and reading, really to pioneer the Net Zero transformation. And this initiative is, is looking primarily at creating a safe space for dialogue, strategic dialogue around practitioners, so head of manufacturing, head of supply chain, head of sustainability, um, but also allowing those companies to share the do's and don'ts and good practices that they've collectively gathered. So this is a lot of uh, value, actually, in order for them to, to accelerate and put that into common. And one of the first output that this initiative delivered back in January as a white paper, and I think we'll have the occasion here to, to discuss it, called the, called the No Excuse Framework. Excellent. That sounds excellent. Gunther, do you have anything you want to add? Yes, of course. I could add uh, the, our perspective uh, from Siemens. Uh, we from Siemens already have, of course, a 15-year of leadership tradition in sustainability 
maybe some of you are know our equity story. And yeah, we also are one of these companies who are committed to be net zero by 2030 and uh, also having 20% emissions reduced of our supply chain also by 2030. So we, we are also committed uh, to our targets and we take res uh, responsibility and actions accordingly. So uh, this uh, initiative and also the partnership with Gemini is that we simply take the next step further in our journey to, to be a responsible company and uh, of course uh, contribute with our experience with our knowledge with our technology also to to the overall success we hope uh, to to the decarbonization of the industrial supply chains so that's really interesting Gunther. what are some of the industrial drivers towards net zero and some of the mistakes you're seeing businesses make when trying to define what it means there are different drivers of course one is that what we just have talked about we have uh, commitments uh, by the, the the leading companies to be uh, sustainable, as responsible, and as uh, we just heard, uh, one third of uh, the emissions are related to to the industry and the and even uh, in, in dependence of the vertical integration then um, up to 90% are in the supply chain so one thing is of course stepping up to the responsibility to uh, decarbonize it um, but uh, also the society is uh, expecting from us and from uh, from the industry to to take uh, this responsibility, uh, we see it in, in consumer goods, of course, uh, by the public behavior. There is a, uh, there is a um, a huge awareness uh, in regards of uh, purchasing, and this uh, is also now uh, coming into uh, industrial goods. Uh, definitely, there is behavior on the investment market in regards in which companies to invest. Uh, so the sustainability index uh, is a key player for all industries. Last but not least, be attractive also for the new generation for talents requires companies to really take this serious and uh, to be a uh, responsible uh, company with a purpose in regards of sustainability. Well, you're talking about what's driving us, but what about uh, some of the mistakes that businesses are making when trying to define what net zero means? Mistakes in regards of net zero. First of all, we have to define what net zero means, as you said. Net zero means a balanced approach in regards of emissions and in regards of uh, compensating these emissions. So uh, the, the, the compensation uh, at the moment is based uh, mainly by uh, nature uh, and the emissions is driven by the industry. And we have to lower our emissions uh, along the whole supply chain so that the complete system is in balance. Uh, but there are several challenges uh, according to these. So uh, first of all, we need to avoid, that's the first step, all emissions which are really uh, according to waste, where there is no um, value creation behind. So we need to avoid this. So responsible act actions needs to be taken. The next step is, of course, we have to reduce uh, the, uh, the 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 our emissions to a, to an 
unavoidable levels, uh, level. So, of course, by physicals, by physics, there always remain some emissions, but we need to lower these emissions to this unavoidable level. And then third, of course, we have to take responsibility for these. Pierre, where do we stand right now in terms of achieving net zero? Do we have a timeline and concrete examples of some of the businesses who are getting it right? The good news is um, awareness is now here. All CEOs have on top of their agenda that sustainability is a, is a top priority, which translates uh, for the world's largest GAG emitters, uh, 75% of them you know, have now committed, as long as it concerns scope one and scope two, um, have committed to net zero. The other good news is 50% of them actually have even published a decarbonization strategy. If we look on the other side, 10% only actually align their capital expenditure with their true DAG emission reduction target, which means that there is a gap between the long-term strategic intent and we are usually, you know, companies are looking at their 2050 commitment with what they will actually as of now, uh, put, in invest, uh, put in their investments and, uh, and where they could take immediate actions. And this is part of the equation we have to, to, to solve. There is, of course, midterm goal, and many of them actually have looked at carbon neutrality for scope one and scope two, not scope three, uh, so notably for their plans by, by 2030, typically. So the barriers we see are threefold. They are technical, financial, organizational. Technically, Indeed, so there's a lot of technologies or innovation that are to be made on product, of course, new material, processes. Topics like carbon capture are very important for, 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 for some industries and process technologies, but also the new type of skills and competence that need to be built because there will be a blend of system design, system engineering that need now to encompass new way to design, what we call so the sustainable product design, Material engineering, of course, but also how to integrate digital, which will be key, and I think we'll, we'll be speaking about it, uh, as well as new business model, because we have to rethink also uh, the, the, the service around the product. On the financial aspect, what comes across, um, the company that I've participated to, 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 to the initiatives and the one uh, that we, we research upon is, in many cases, um, ROI can still be quite long-term. Uh, so investment have to be taken up front, and uh, in some regions, access to financing um, is a is a challenge. There is also this organizational challenge that companies need to solve, where on many aspects they operate the way they are organized. Um, if I take the example of product engineering being decoupled typically from supply chain operations, uh, we have to think about uh, the new way to. To, to, to work and also the KPIs model attached to the organization to make sure that sustainability does not necessarily come on top of what they will do, but really as a, as a core item actually of the, of the way they will, uh, they will design their future and operate. Pierre, do you see any additional challenges from, you know, businesses? Well, the, the, the challenges will, will vary from sectors to sectors. What, what we identified with our research is that um, there are decarbonization levers that are in common. We mentioned few already about the energy consumption, switching to green fuel, transport, of course, transport decarbonization. A new topic is around material efficiency. Uh, Gunther uh, made a point already on this, and it is new in the sense that manufacturers for decades actually have focused on 
overall efficiency, overall equipment efficiency, uh, not actually material efficiency, not measuring what gets in versus what gets out in terms of product delivered or service rendered. And that's a new metric that they will have to consider. So of course, the material and product circularity, considering the end of life of the product, um, is a key topic, as well as carbon, carbon capture, which on, on which we will see in the forthcoming years a lot of innovation. To understand that um, the stakes and labor will have different intensity um, according to the sectors, well, it's quite straightforward. If you take apart cement steel mining, which are primarily exposed actually to scope one and scope two, the rest of, in, uh, of the industry, 70% of this, is primarily on scope three, meaning that they need to have an holistic view actually on their product and process and usage. And here it will take different uh, implications. If I take the example of heavy industry, typically here they need to massively invest in new technologies around electrification of equipment or carbon capture. Uh, for example, in the cement industry, raw material like the clay is being replaced with waste and byproducts coming from other industrial processes, uh, such as alumina or, or, or silica. Auto or aero will have similar challenges uh, working on the product technology. Electrification, of course, is key. But thinking forward, also the end of life of their product now uh, is recycling and use. And last example on the cosmetics, very different level. It's about sustainable raw material, water saving, and eco packaging. What we've seen as a as a common challenge is though, and the the initiatives will be will be tackling is in, in many sectors there are clear difficulties in engaging the whole value chain uh, to decarbonize, namely when uh, this value chain or tier, tier chain is supported by SMEs as they need support basically to get trained, clear targets, um, to cascade down the ambition that the client and the OEM will have. Um, and if you take the example of the consumer products, typically it's an industry where the leader will have uh, over 50,000 suppliers. So having this in mind, we realize basically the complexity in terms of value chain that they will have to manage. Now, the good news will be that taking some years back, we had basically the same issue in terms of cascading on, you know, quality target and quality standard. And we've done that, you know, across many industries. So following basically the same path, um, we have here the opportunity to bring this new approach, new methodology, target and ambition, you know, through the value chain and making it, making it a reality. That sounds great. So, you know, I would love for you, um, Gunther, if you have anything that you'd like to add to that particular topic to see if you have any additional thoughts. In, in, in general, all the leading manufacturers, uh, they have prioritized energy and material consumption reductions and decarbonization on their corporate agenda because they recognize that uh, there is an, a, a strong and direct link between the, the climate protection and business success. And as Pierre said, however, the current climate protection imperatives not only uh, require a transition to climate neutral operations, which is scope one and two, uh, which is then also uh, within company boundaries, but also towards climate neutral value chains. I think both is very important, but uh, it depends on the industry, uh, which is your focus. For us, the Siemens, of course, it's climate neutral value chains as our operations are not uh, that uh, energy intense and uh, less and, and then of course a less uh, intense uh, so the challenge for the industry mm, always to 
to to get to these um, uh, targets uh, straight to get the climate neutralized in the CO2 transparent supply chain, so in the most of them, and whose individual values needs to be aggregated, and therefore there must be comparable and trustworthy and easier. Uh, to be uh, to obtained, we uh, we we are able to support the industry, of course, in their scope one and two. Um, so to get uh, the um, to get the transparency in their own uh, uh, operations, but also along the supply chain. So that's uh, something um, which is important that there is uh, now these these few on supply chains which are. Uh, now coming into into their agenda. That's great. Well, let's talk a little bit about that no excuse framework that you guys mentioned before. Um, you've developed a pretty comprehensive framework for businesses on how they can accelerate their net zero efforts. Pierre, can you tell me a little bit more about what you've called this no excuse framework? Yes, we and we're quite proud within the initiatives, you know, of uh, of the framework itself, of course. And as you said, it's aims to be comprehensive. We want it to be practical, made by the industry for the industries. And the title may be a bit provocative because actually looking at what has been achieved collectively among the initiatives, there's quite a lot already that can be done, you know, with meaningful uh, results. Um, and this is coming back to the fact that uh, quick wins can be can be achieved. Uh, this no excuse really here addressed that. So the no excuse framework is the result of putting in common basically the experience of over 20 companies. And it starts um, quite logically by building the right foundation, which incorporates having, of course, a net zero corporate strategy, but making sure we put in place from the start the right measurement and monitoring tool. And Gunther mentioned it, you know, it's a, it can be a quite complex exercise. Then step two is what can organization, industrial organization, you know, change internally what they have in their hands. Uh, energy efficiency, of course, uh, decarbonization, uh, decarbonization, the energy sources, material efficiency, and working, obviously, on their, on their product portfolio. Um, in many cases, all cases, actually, this was the, uh, the takeaway of the, of, the, of the members, this is needed, but not sufficient. So a strong takeaway it will have to go through new type of cooperation. Therefore, we call it step three, you know, drive systematic uh, collaboration. And it's about putting in place new standards. I'm sure we'll have the occasion with Gunther to, to talk about data exchange, for example, and, and what uh, Estenium here will do, uh, but also innovating uh, and uh, creating ecosystem partnership for the circularity, typically. A fourth step, uh, which in no way should be forgotten. It's how to make it simple, inclusive, and exciting for the organization. At the end is how do we change part of the corporate culture uh, to make it net zero, not only net zero compatible, but really uh, by design product services and the future of a company should be a, should, we, should integrate uh, sustainability. So, you know, it sounds like achieving net zero require a lot of businesses working together to achieve this common goal. I know that you had mentioned, you know, some of these industry initiatives like the cosmetics industry previously. How do you see this type of systematic collaboration working? Yeah, the, the, this is key because truly no company alone will reach net zero. Uh, so collaboration is a fundamental part of the net zero journey. And the most multinationals are 
already involved in the initiative actually did form a coalition, new type of coalition actually to tackle those most complex challenges. Um, this research, so so that we, we map the different coalition types we've seen and to cite two examples, it can be uh, to cite the eco, the eco beauty score, uh, how putting in place an eco scoring product. Eco beauty score has been an initiative dedicated to the cosmetic industry to develop a common scoring system for cosmetic products, uh, which enable consumers to have informed decision on their purchasing. And today it's 60 companies that have joined since the start, it was uh, in 21, and build together a set of common methodology for measuring actually the environmental impact, shared database, uh, common tool. And all this is absolutely key in order so that in a given industry, they will have the same law, speak the same language, and can report out actually the same uh, or standardize information to a client. To give a, another example around uh, a coalition um, with the around circularity, um, here it's end-of-life product collection uh, for reverse logistics are now taking place uh, with recycling. We can cite, for example, in the, in French, on the pharma sector, uh, Cyclamed, uh, which has been a, a reverse logistic for medication collection has been put in place. And, and we see more and more initiatives in the fashion industry, in luxury, like circular hubs of uh, caring and Gucci in order to accelerate basically the R&D of circular products and fashions. It sounds like data is going to play a key role in all of this, um, particular when we have these when these when we have these ecosystems working together, and that data is playing a big role in um, company sustainability efforts. Um, you know, Gunther, from the Siemens perspective, how will data ecosystems and digitization play into this collaborative net zero effort? The good news is, of course, technology and digitalization will help. That's for sure, and it will help in many aspects. Uh, maybe I will um, structure it um, a little bit uh, as we were talking before about scope one and two, which is when a company acts in uh, uh, within their boundaries, within company boundaries, and also then uh, regarding scope three, so when it uh, goes across the supply chain. So first of all, when it comes to scope one and two, let, let us um, assume that a company, because one of the challenges, uh, as I said, is to uh, to to um, generate um, a transparency and of of course uh, um, develop a kind of a data quality. Let's assume that happened. So uh, we have transparency and we have uh, the the data quality because here also digitalization uh, can help to generate transparency with all the with with intelligent sensors with meters and. Um, and then, of course, uh, when you have sensors and meters in along your shop floor, along your building, along your infrastructure, um, you can you can work on data quality. And um, then, of course, you have to collect them. You have to collect the the data. And uh, here, um, the operating technology on the shop floor and the systems of the IT and uh, are are. Uh, coming together, uh, so you have to uh, to to get the the enterprise resource planning, for example, or your energy management systems connected to each other, and uh, and you have then to um, to analyze and to 
and to define where are your opportunities to improve uh, your energy consumptions. And uh, here, in, in all aspects, uh, um, technology can help. We, we are talking about here holistic um, um, holistic energy management systems uh, where you are connecting real and virtual uh, AI-based sensors, and then they are supporting all the other uh, decision makers uh, uh, to to find out where there are opportunities. Or you work with resource efficiency uh, in operations with data analytics. Uh, so uh, you you have uh, the possibility to collect real time um, data from the shop floor and uh, put them into digital twins, and then uh, you are. Um, will be able to do to make all these uh, smart analytics and uh, derive decisions from it. Do you do you see some additional business opportunities deriving from some of this data and these analytics coming into play? Definitely. I mean, um, when we were talking in the in the past uh, about the typical digital twins product um, process and performance, now of course we are talking about already a green digital twin. So, uh, so that uh, that we have uh, the, the 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 that we uh, determine the impact of a product already during the engineering phase uh, 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 we are combining um, the co2 data of components uh, already during the design phase so the engineers have a direct feedback uh, of the of the impact of the product uh, which they are designing and then these green digital twin which gets their data from life cycle assessment basically uh, databases um, and maybe sometimes also uh, real-time data can be then the input uh, uh, for when the product comes uh, alive so when it goes to into production uh, so then that you said okay there was already a green digital uh, um twin uh, as a, um, um, there was an estimation of the climate impact and during production and during the sourcing decisions you are uh, able to improve this uh uh, what was estimated, and then you have a lively um, model which are continuously are able to to work with. And from the green digital twin, we are have uh, then the possibility to bring it into uh, our product, which uh, which is named Sea Green, uh, where you are able to manage uh, then your products along the supply chain with uh, um, with. Yeah, with uh, real data, with data you can base then decisions on. So this is a clear uh, opportunity in all aspects. And uh, also you can think about to put uh, um, this in combinations with uh, intelligent decisions uh, in regards of um, supply chain strategies, in regards of sourcing strategies. So there are a lot of opportunities you can think of. Uh, in in this aspect, of course, um, placing the products, especially what what we are offering regarding software and hardware, uh, is also an opportunity for us 
as we are then able to bring transparency or to improve uh, their own footprint by our technology. So that's that's definitely uh, um, and um, in, in all aspects an opportunity. Oh, that's fantastic. You also had um, mentioned previously um, that nobody can go it alone when it comes to net zero strategy and nobody can go alone um, going to net zero in general. Um, can you give us an example of how you've worked with partners to accelerate decarbonization strategies? Let me come back to 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 a simple uh, a simple kind of story how we are working together with uh, with partners which for example a supplier can be you know suppliers we need uh, the we need to get transparency of our own uh, product carbon footprint so we are requesting uh, then uh, the data from our suppliers and then of course uh, the supplier often is not uh, exactly uh, experts on uh, Maybe we are supporting them by calculating their borough-carbon footprint, and there the 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 partnership and yeah the engagement starts. We we are um, on the other hand, of course, we are offering them uh, the possibility to join our network, which is uh, uh, based on our solution SeaGreen. So SeaGreen enables companies to determine and share the CO two footprint in a very efficient. Away uh, along the supply chain, securely and trustworthily. So, uh, so then um, the calculation of emission data requires normally extensive uh, information, and we are then supporting uh, suppliers also that they gather this information directly from their shop floor, as I mentioned just before. Maybe they have already something uh, implemented, or we can, um, which we can build on, or we then uh, support them that we build this up. Um, uh, during these pilots, uh, of course, we enable our suppliers. Um, um, there is, for example, a, a, a mold case a producer, and uh, we're working with or um, with our supplier um, Weidmüller. I can name him because he's also in the association. Uh, we are exchanging uh, so the the data along the supply chain. And uh, therefore, we both uh, consequently increase the transparency of our own PCF, PSF, as well, or carbon footprint declarations, um, and um, and uh, so we are able to provide specific PCFs as well, or carbon footprints for our customers. Um, and what we have uh, seen is um, that. Um, on both sides, uh, so for us and for them, uh, we are identifying opportunities to reduce our own manufacturing emissions uh, significantly, and um, and also um, we're able to uh, to offer low emission products, uh, such as uh, our. Um, of course, for some some customers are interested. Interesting. Um, when when it uh, when we are going into uh, collaborations with our um, suppliers in this case or with other partners, normally we are looking in the in the exchange of information. Some some of these informations of borough carbon footprint, so uh, scope three uh, data. 
uh, we are exchanging peer-to-peer. -peer, so we are connecting because Seagreen is based on peer-to-peer. -peer. Some others, uh, some other suppliers uh, wanted even to to um, to have the the borocarbon footprint verified. So then um, we were working uh, together with a certifier, in this case, TIFSUIT, which were then um, verifying the exchange data based on verifiable credentials, which allows uh, that uh, you get the trust without uh, disclosing any confidential information, which is in a built uh, functionality uh, uh, in in this uh, in the in the Seagreen product and and the underlying um, technology, the underlying ecosystem, we call it Estenium, and this is also what Pierre referenced. There is also an association behind um, are um, um, providing the infrastructure to share um, uh, certified borocarbon footprints between the suppliers in uh, and, and customs, without the need of of using uh, uh, any or disclosing any confidential information. So um, these are uh, examples of direct uh, um, supplier or customer um, 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 relations and and products and engagements. But we also are already working with academia um, in in regards of um, connecting the emission, let's say the um, the, the the source uh, with a possible sink. So we are working together with University of of, of Sydney and um, and have a direct link uh, with. Um, with an hybrid Algier farm and to, to discovering what are the possibilities in direct uh, offsetting without any intermediate uh, as we have uh, as, as we have then uh, a complete transparency related. That's fantastic. Pierre, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Coming back on the digitalization, just wanted to, to build on, 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 on Gunther's point. Um, digital twins are truly one of the key solution that will change, you know, um, the way product, process, supply chain are, are, are designed. So I think it's, it's really important to, to grasp this in a way that they will accelerate actually the redesign of product processes by aiming to simulate uh, the life cycle uh, and integrating what-if scenario based on real data. And I think that, that that's really the novelty behind with new type of constraints Coming from the sustainability challenges that will be uh, that will be integrated. So that's this offer actually new way to design products, uh, but also process and uh, even for the factory uh, that will be uh, that will be tools to be uh, to be uh, to be used. Uh, another point that we did not mention is around green IT. Green IT um, will result also in, in in heavy carbon reduction and, and even cost saving. So that that's the good news. And and the, to cite few example on green IT. Um, Auto switch off of hardware feature. Um, we made some study and it can save 14% cost saving. Uh, switching to a green architecture or framework. Uh, also here savings are quite important. 
rationalizing uh, application and data, uh, having managing uh, da data centers, coding using AI system, for example. So those are the type of examples that Green IT actually is putting forward. And not to forget, of course, that the green procurement of servers, uh, which are part of the Green IT strategy, which leads also to cost saving. Well, I think, gentlemen, we are at the end of our time today. Is there anything that you two gentlemen would like to leave our listeners with from a thoughts from a net zero perspective? Gunther, I'm going to start with you. What would you like to leave our audience today? Yeah, together, I would like really to call for action. Join our initiative would be the best or even our Estanium Association. You can find them also in the internet and think about that we have together to tackle really a huge challenge here. And the I would like really to to summarize a little bit the challenges we would like to to address and we we need to um to tackle together because and together means uh, on cross industry uh, private and governance um uh, um and and also academia and uh, interdisciplinary we need, really need to join forces here we need to increase the transparency along the supply chain i mean everybody can look in their own operations i think that's clear and everybody knows what happens there the technology is out there just use it just do it and uh, a, a huge challenge is still in transparency which needs to be achieved along the supply chain and then when we are looking along the supply chain, I really uh, would like to emphasize that we need to work together on the data quality, what, uh, what we are sharing and exchanging along the supply chain. We need uh, really um, an alignment. We need standards. And this is what, what it brings me to the challenge number three, which is there are, of course, there are protocarbon footprint rule books out there. I mean, everybody has uh, heard about them. Um, WBCSD uh, was uh, gaining a lot of attention, but there are others out there. Catena X, uh, for example, for the automotive uh, industry are working or have uh, um, released one there together for sustainability, have released a, a, a protocarbon footprint rubric, but none of them is uh, legally binding and we need uh, to, to align them. So there is still a discussion uh, out that we need to align them. And then there comes the, the 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 huge topic of of carbon uh, removals uh, and there we have really uh, key challenges together as the carbon removal um, um, let's say certificates have lost uh, so much trust uh, as they are not uh, placed uh, transparent uh, and not uh, based on on robust rules so but on the other hand we need uh, the investment in carbon removals as natural ecosystems already are decreasing uh, to to capture uh, carbon and 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 we need to to take action uh, 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 so I think makes it makes it very very clear that we have to join forces and this is why uh, net zero initiative is so important because we have launched the Estanium Association I would really just uh, um, ask, yeah, just join us and contribute and uh, and uh, do what already is uh, is possible. And this is also in the no excuse framework. Yes, well, no excuses not to join. I guess. What about you, Pierre? What would you like to add to our to hear for, to our listeners as far as advice or last thoughts? Yeah, 
three, three points maybe. So um, A, from the, the lessons we could draw from these initiatives, um, we've showed that companies, uh, by rethinking operation, their business model, help to improve their efficiency. Uh, and, and that's an important aspect. You know, it, it's not sustainability versus efficiency. You can do both at the same time. Uh, Gunther mentioned the, the, the improvement that can be done on, on, on waste and material. Uh, so it's both competitive advantage and, and better for our planet. Um, we haven't mentioned it too much, but uh, there are great opportunities also out there. Uh, if you look at uh, battery factories, uh, biorefining, carbon capture, we mentioned hydrogen or green steel. So new business fields are emerging, uh, and that's a great opportunity. Taking the example of uh, of the battery, uh, uh, we'll need to multiply by 14, 14 by 2030, the the, the, the production of a battery for, for, for EV. So that's, uh, that's great. Uh, last point being achieving net zero, we mentioned it, huh, is something that no company alone will do. So it's, it's truly a, a system level collaboration, which is a vital component of the journey. And whether it occurs at uh, cross industry, uh, like in the initiatives or within an industry, uh, also with government and, uh, and other organization level. And uh, here I would just uh, complete what Gunther point, you know, that uh, join the initiatives. It's a, it's a, it's a very important uh, or, or fast way to accelerate this uh, net zero in manufacturing that we have to do. From that conversation, it's clear that a no excuses mindset is key for our net zero future. A special thank you to Pierre and Gunther. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon. Thank you.